right, well, once again, I didn't introduce my guest during the body of the actual show in a way that was effective, but I did, of course, sit down to talk about the wonderful movie Barton Fink with the very talented writer, Brothi Gupta, who um, has written for The Simpsons and currently writes for The Simpsons. She also hosts a podcast called Lecture Hall, which I've been on, so you know it's good. She talks a little bit in the show about writing for friends from college and doing some internet writing for places like McSweeney's, which is like, you know, basically for smart people. So you might want to pay attention when she's laying down some atomic truth bombs during this discussion. Uh, uh, So please do stay tuned as I talk to her and please like me. Hey everybody, welcome to Subtitles On, the only podcast about movies. Uh, I am here, of course, with my wonderful guest, Broti Gupta. And we're talking about Barton Fink today. This show uh, is called Subtitles On because we read the movie, don't we? Yeah. And I'm a writer, you're a writer, mm-hmm. we're watching a movie about a writer, they're writing a movie in the movie while mm-hmm. we're watching the movie. And think about you're reading the movie and you're reading the movie he's writing yeah. in the movie that he's writing the movie in that you're watching the movie about. And you're reading what he's writing as you're reading what he's writing. Uh-huh. So I think it's an interesting approach to watching a movie and reading a movie. And I think it's a powerful conversation that we can have together. Mm-hmm. Um, Barton Fink, directed by the Coen brothers, written by the Coen brothers. Do you have a big Coen brothers take for me? I do. And this is not specific to the Coen brothers, but it does apply to all brothers. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I think... When you have grown up, find a new writing partner. <laughs> That's my big take. Uh, that is not to say that they haven't made some incredible. They've made a lot of good stuff. Movies. Yeah, and and I and I, you know, I wish it didn't have to be this way. But they, to me, are not adults. Until they stop hanging out with just each other. Well, they did. I mean, they recently did start making their own stuff independently. Well, I did not and I'm know not, that. Well, okay. No, it's not that I I didn't think about that. I'm not stoked on it. Like, because I like the stuff they've made together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's an issue, right? <laughs> and it doesn't think, affect me if they're not adults. Well, it doesn't do anything to me. Because I'm not hanging out with them. That's true. Um, I mean... Listen, there are so few movies that I can watch without thinking about sort of the conversations that happened before they started writing it, Uh you know? So in my mind... Is that a hindrance of being a writer that you're just like, I always think about kind of how the sausage gets made or like my experience with this? Exactly. And I can barely ever enjoy the sausage once it's made because I'm still thinking about... Is that true? You feel that way about movies? 
Um, Because uh, I do feel that way about a lot of TV shows that I can't actually, enjoy them yeah. because I know I know. And this is common, I think, but it's like I know someone involved or I worked on something similar or just like I cannot enjoy it. And or movies... suddenly one of the characters <laughs> is named after like a friend of yours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, my friend made a movie and Hayes Davenport is the name of one of the characters in it. Is that real? Yeah. Where? Uh, what my movie friend is Gene, it? <laughs> Gene Hong wrote a movie. Do you know Gene? Yes. He wrote a movie um, that starred Jeremy Sisto and it was about a tennis player and one of the like rival like the like asshole like rival tennis players yeah. on the tour was named Hayes Davenport. Yeah. And I think Hayes had his name put into multiple projects because he has such a good specific name. Yeah, that, like, his name is the implies... name of a boat. His name is the name of a boat. Yeah, it's a very yeah, it's um it's a very waspy. So yes, it's a name of privilege, isn't it? <laughs> and he's not here and he was supposed to be. So and, we can yeah, say that. Yeah. He was supposed to be here and then and then what happened? He got trapped in his own money or something i don't know yeah that's a it's like i'm helping people yeah like, why <laughs> why is it, it does it is it a, a an uncurable sense of guilt you have about your name i was just name? gonna say yes. i'm wondering if he is trying to make up for being hayes davenport yeah i don't uh, have that problem no <laughs> Which is why you've actually started uh, stealing from the poor. <laughs> yes. That's right. Well, that's what the Patreon is. Um, so, I, so, and thank you for listening, everyone. So anyway, yes, um, uh, I know it was a slightly ironic take, but it is, but it is a real experience of being a writer. And I think that um, uh, it's that why is part of what we talk about. It's hard to watch comedy. And I will say yeah. when I was like first starting out as a writer, I thought to myself, like anytime any comedy writer says that they can't watch comedy, like that is bullshit. They're performing something. Mm -hmm. And now I get it. I don't watch any comedy. I just, I almost strictly watch crime dramas or yes. um, uh, I, I started watching the show Hannibal. Okay, great. Um, When did that show come out? That, that's only like three seasons. When was that? Oh, seven or eight years ago, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, like a 20, feels like a 2014 type of show. 2013, yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, I started watching Hannibal, Not a Joke to be Found. Yes. And that's very comforting to me. Yeah, I think it's also watching older stuff is easier. Like, because yeah. uh, whatever, I watched it before or it was just made at a time where it's like I have no association with any of the people who were working at that time. Mm -hmm. They're still like, they're not people I've met or yeah. like had a bad meeting with <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are like yeah. producing this thing. They're people who still are like preserved in amber for me. It's yeah. like, this was a name I read on a screen. And so um, that's, I think why whatever movies or comedies from like the nineties and stuff are easier for me to enjoy. Um, but the Coen brothers uh, have a writing career that we talked about. We talked about this a little bit with adaptation that like it, it cannot really be recreated now to my knowledge, like what has happened. So the writing of this film, they were 
They say it was not writer's block they were experiencing, but they were writing the movie Miller's Crossing, which I also mm-hmm. like. Have you seen Miller's Crossing? I have not seen Miller's It's good, Crossing. but it's a very complicated, like tangled web of a movie where there's all these moving parts. And they got uh, into a particularly complicated section and they needed some distance from the script. So they stopped writing that and they wrote this and they wrote it incredibly fast. Wow. And it was like sort of, I think, an idea they had had the idea for the hotel, they had stayed in some weird hotel and they were like, this is like a good setting for a movie. Mm-hmm. So they just like burned through this. Then they went back, finished Miller's Crossing, filmed Miller's Crossing, and then immediately filmed this. Mm-hmm. And what they said that is very, they were like, well, we weren't really having writer's block. Like we just like wanted to take a break from the script we were doing. And then we wrote this and then that they don't, really have any problems with writer's block at least in the interview i read with them at the time you know after this came out and they were sort of talking about the experience of barton fink they said that they don't have any unproduced screenplays in their drawers (laughs) they have stuff that artistically they felt like didn't really work so they kind of put it away but they were like we financed our own first movie blood simple have you seen blood simple i haven't seen blood that's really good yeah um, so they financed Blood Simple themselves. They made it. It was awesome. Then they got like a deal and they made three, their next three scripts. They just like wrote a script, gave it to the producer and they were like, yeah, we like this. Go make it. Wow. And so then they like made Raising Arizona, which was successful. Yeah, I have seen and then, Raising Arizona. Yeah. And then they made, um, I think these were their next two movies. I might have it wrong, but I'm not an expert. So, first of all, I mean, they're obviously incredibly talented and very interesting filmmakers. They've done like so many different genres and to talk about their writing style, do you have a take on like the way they write? or anything it's Is there very something... funny they're very yeah. funny um despite once again being brothers <laughs> yes being adult brothers mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine to be siblings when you're an adult mm-hmm. i'm not anti you know what never mind i don't want to get lost in this <laughs> but yeah no it's... they're very funny um fargo is one of my favorite favorite movies yeah well, you talk about not being able to watch comedy, and I think that, like, I wish there was more stuff like what they make, yes. although it's very hard, but they make crime dramas yeah. that are so funny and have such pure moments of humor that don't take you out of it, yeah. that feel very authentic to what's happening, but also, like, are genuinely hilarious stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I, once again, Fargo is one of my favorite movies you know what it is it's like when a thing that i sometimes do find very annoying but uh when something when like comedy writers describe something as fun instead of funny Uh um i would describe coen brothers movies as very fun yes because yeah exactly there's like a lightness to everything and it just it's i think part of why they can span so many different genres is because yeah. they they have this way of writing dialogue that feels like light and fun and authentic to the characters that you meet yeah. although 
I think I said like it it doesn't take you out of the world they created. Their world is always a little surreal. Yeah. And so like because it's just off of reality, there's license to like Exactly. Have a character suddenly just like philosophize and like do like a like soliloquy. <laughs> like Yeah. Um it's okay, uh, because they've just created this style that's their own. And it's also I think about like Blood Simple is this kind of like hot Texas crime thing with this like scummy bar owner who hires a scummy private detective. And these people, there there's less dialogue in the movie uh-huh. and there's, you know, a muted way that the people interact. And then two movies later, you have them writing this, which is like, these very erudite, like intellectual yeah. people interacting, and in this like twenties, like you know, like, yeah, I mean, exactly. it's set in the forties, but it's snappy. this like, like yeah, yeah um, uh, snappy dialogue style that's yeah, like totally different, Friday. and they just seem to be able to do all. Of, and Fargo again, like a totally different like dialect, but it feels correct. They're from Minnesota, yeah. But, um, it and the feels accent like they can do is it all. really funny. Yes. The accent is really funny with the backdrop. It. Yeah. They know how to use it. Yeah. Um, I think it's that they're like the the fundamentals of the plot is like those are often very serious and very grounded, but the characters in them don't take themselves that seriously. Yeah. So that's what where I think the like comedy comes from is that I think a lot of their characters sort of can acknowledge that they're in a ridiculous circumstance and this is different. And so they're, you know, it's jarring. Well, but in, but here's what I'll say in Barton Fink Mm -hmm. to get back to the movie we're discussing. Yeah. He does take himself very seriously. Like part of the concept of the character is that he's insanely pretentious and he's, not reacting to two things that yeah. are happening. Like there's stuff that's happening that's super fucked up. Uh-huh. And he's so he's like very in neurotic. his own bubble and everything that he doesn't always have like as big a reaction as you would expect to have. How much of the character is based on Woody Allen? Well, the character <laughs> the character <laughs> is based on Clifford Odets. And so who is based on Woody Allen. Yes. <laughs> but this is a thing where it's like, I don't fucking know who Clifford Odets is. But he mm-hmm. he was a playwright who wrote about the proletariat and was just like mm-hmm. wrote these, you know, the poetry of the streets, which they say that Martin right. Fink has captured. Is and like, which you do as well. That's yes, that's <laughs> always been my my brand, is that I sort of I hear this sort of, you know. The hey, urban man. patois, and then I combine <laughs> it with, you know, this sort of high-minded um, poetry. And that was, like, the basis. And something about the Coen brothers is, like, I guess Joel went to NYU film school. Mm-hmm. Ethan went to Princeton and got a philosophy degree. And I and, and they the missed inter- each other <laughs> so much. I know. They were like, we got to get back together now. <laughs> so... John Mahoney's character is based on Faulkner and mm-hmm. John Turturro's character is based on Clifford Odets. Clifford? And they're like, they didn't do any like 
research on these people. You know, they just it's just yeah. the kind of guy who will go like, what if he's kind of like Clifford Odets? And then it's yeah. just, it means something to both of them. And they go like, that's a good archetype to use. And so there both is both thinking that the other one made up the name. <laughs> yeah, just like they have some background of knowledge about like Hollywood history and like all these different like his you know figures in the industry where it's just like very easy for them to be inspired by something but also not cling to it and allow yeah. it to just be like a starting point to go into all their weird ideas they I have. mean you know what that makes me think of is Inside Lewin Davis well and that's another movie I wanted to bring up where it's like you think about that one you know Lewin Davis is these Dave they write incredible wrong. dialogue, but then he doesn't really talk. Like no. he's just kind of like grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> stuff happens around him. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that movie. I love that movie. That's also another really fun one. Yeah. Yes, it is. So anyway, they're like geniuses, but also I think we're allowed to be jealous of the idea of just like you would make a little indie film and then it would be like, do you want to make three or four more movies? Whatever you want. Yeah. You'd have to be able to write the scripts that they do, but still. I don't like that their writers, their version of writer's block is to write a second movie. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, I'm a really little well. stuck. I'm a little stuck. So I'm going to go write another movie really quickly and easily. That's amazing. And then I'll go back and finish this movie, which also is very good. They both were financially not successful, Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink. So... Mm. I, I, for me, I'm about so the money. So fuck those guys. <laughs> so, so actually, maybe these guys suck. Yeah. All uh, right. So all they have going for them is that they're brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I, I asked you to do the podcast, and I uh -huh. sort of was like, "Does a movie spring to mind?" And then I mentioned a couple big ones I hadn't done, and you said, "Ooh, let's do Barton Fink." Yeah. So, so do you have a history or connection to this movie or an association that you wanted to do it? Um, I Googled it. Oh, really? Yeah. I Had you, you'd never seen it? I'd never seen it before. Oh, wow. I Googled it, saw that it was by the Coen brothers, whose work I really do like. Yeah. And so I was excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, something to check <laughs> off. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's a bit of a Kunstler Roman, isn't it? Thank you guys for listening to the Don't you find? It's a word I learned Research the movie, which is its um, story in which an artist matures throughout the film. I was just going to ask if it's the exact opposite of coming of age. <laughs> well, it's no, it's like a, yeah, it's a simple, because like a building's Roman is a coming yeah. of age, right? And so then Kunstler's like an artist's coming of age as an artist. Uh huh. Um, I do like that this artist's coming of age ends with, um, spoiler alert, uh, just like this script was awful well i think yes i think one thing that's so we did um adaptation first hayes uh -huh. and i and that was probably the most similar movie to this in terms of like it's a writer who's struggling to get right. this script out but that artist was going this is me i'm writing me yeah. and it is interesting to me that the code brothers are like this guy is not me and I don't think he's talented. Yeah. <laughs> like they actually said, like, we don't think he's a particularly good artist. I I think that that's that's very smart because 
And I often think about when there's a movie or a show about like an artistic genius. Yeah. Because it's like, well, then the writer has to be an artistic genius at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, yes, anytime there is art represented in something where it's like, you've got to like play the song and everyone has to be like, holy shit, this yeah. kid's got it. It's like, well, the song better be fucking good yeah. because <laughs> I've heard music and I'm watching the movie. Yeah. So like, I'm not just going to believe the character when they exactly. say the song rocks. And I'm going to be like, primed. what are they talking about? You you listened to music right before you turned on this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So did I think see, it was smart. Did I you think see it was Don't smart. Think Twice? I did not. Uh, that's the improv. Yeah, that's a movie about improv. So and that was, was close that? to my experience. Were you in that movie? No, I mean, I mean, in a way, I in was. a way, right? In in a way, it's kind of but all around you. There's really talented, funny people involved in it, but they do have like Keegan's going to have his SNL audition. Oh, and man. he's got this, and he's like, I've got this old timey ticket taker character, and he starts like doing the character. And I don't know, as a viewer, like, am I supposed to think this is good? Like, is this a movie about a guy who is bombing his SNL on Yeah. And then he, like, gets cast, and then they put the character, and you're like, right. that's just such a hard needle to thread to have to, like, deal with. You have to show something so good to tell people it's good. So to make the character not good, and also for the comedy of it, to have a character who is super good, Arrogant and pretentious in a way, neurotic and self-loathing like uh -huh. artists are, but also like deep down sort of thinks he's a genius. Yeah. Um, well, and then be bad is like, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because our our entire POV is through this guy who thinks he's incredible. Yeah. So when you see that kind of like Mozart-esque night of writing where mm -hmm. he has where he writes this entire script you yes. know, you are supposed to sort of think like, OK, finally, this is all going to pay. There's off. a breakthrough. It's going off. Yes. And I want to I want to talk more about that later. But I will talk about. So my experience with this movie is it came out in 1991. Mm -hmm. I was 10 years old. OK. The movie is 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 it rated R, Kevin? I'll check. There's certainly a lot of violence in it. And it's certainly very strange. But what I want to say is. I saw this movie like my parents watched this movie may I, I on home video. So I may have been 11 like it may have been the following year. It was. But I have a very vivid memory. One of my most vivid memories of like watching a movie that I didn't understand. And like I remember seeing John Goodman, who we were a Roseanne household. So I knew him from Roseanne. Yeah. And like he's making flames shoot out of the walls. And I have like I can picture the wallpaper peeling off the hotel room mm -hmm. and I can picture the flames like going up like as the hotel is like burning down in yeah. this like crazy moment and just like having this thought of like, I do not know what the fuck is going on. Like, I do <laughs> not know what's happening in this movie. And I did not watch it again until maybe six or seven years ago. And uh -huh. so like, I didn't even know like that it was about a writer, that it was about Hollywood. <laughs> like I was just like, that's the movie where the hotel burns down. Yeah, and this and man pretty scary. Seems <laughs> to emerge like, from a flaming elevator. 
Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a scary movie where John Goodman burns down a building and I didn't know anything else about it. So um, and then suddenly exclaims Heil Hitler. That is interesting. (laughs) So (laughs) so the movie opens on uh, we're hearing the dialogue from a play and then we are on Barton Fink, John Turturro. He's watching the play. He's like mouthing the words a little bit in classic fashion. Mm -hmm. He is watching his play crush like it's murdering people fucking love it yeah and he's not enjoying it at all <laughs> like, like he and, has and this isn't tension that your experience sean well yes that is what i wanted to talk about um is that like there is not joy there is relief uh-huh. like it's not like oh i succeeded it's okay i didn't fail Like, I think that is the feeling of like putting something out in the world Uh of like, oh, no, is this going to fucking suck? And then you're like, and then if people do like it, it's like, okay, all right. I'm like not in trouble. But it's not like, yes, I fucking rock. Like I told you I kick ass in my experience. That's Mm -hmm. not how I feel. It's I didn't fail yet. Exactly. (laughs) It's like I. I will continue like this week digestively. I'll be fine. Yeah, because it's like whatever. If you're turning in a script or something to your boss, like one of the first times and you're just like, okay, now they're reading it. They're at home reading it. Are they hating it? And then if you get a thing where it's like, hey, that came in great. Great job. You're like, all right. So right now I'm not in trouble. And like I have not yet fucked up so bad that they want to like (laughs) kick me out of where I am. Um, Yeah, it's always treading water. Like it's just a... It's just not failing. Yeah. And then he goes to a dinner wherever he's the toast of the town. Everyone's talking about how brilliant he is. His like agent is saying like, you're made like, don't you get it? Like you're a hit. And uh, and they're reading newspaper reviews that are like raves. And he says like, well, I, I can't start listening to the critics. And it's funny because like it has gone to his head, but he's going he's got this thing that I. I have that I feel like a lot of people have where it's like, well, I can't read that stuff. If I pay attention to the good stuff, then I'd have to agree with the bad stuff. And so I have to just independently be like, this is what I'm putting out there. But Uh you can't do it. No. Well, (laughs) actually, it's interesting because I I sort of don't. What I'm realizing right now is that I don't think I've ever written something and then been like that. Like, I am proud of this. Uh-huh. I just wait to see if other people like it. Yeah. And then I may be proud of other people liking it. Well, and, and, and that's a hard thing about writing is you're alone. Yeah. And you're kind of going like, I think this is good. But someone could read it and be like, what were you thinking? This is bad. And you go like, ah, I was wrong. Yeah. But I, <laughs> or like underneath it all, I was right. <laughs> yes. Or like they don't get it. Maybe. But like. I think like if a lot of people go like, hey, this is really good. You go, yeah, I could tell. But I think there is something about it's a solitary act. You're doing it by yourself. And it's kind of impossible to gauge whether something is good. Yeah. And that's also like, you know, we talked a little bit about comedy. I think like there is some element of like when you're putting comedy on the page, you can be like, this is this is kind of making me laugh. Like, this is a funny idea to me. I feel like this is funny when I think about people who like only write like dramas, I guess like a big twist, you could be like, oh, this is going to really surprise people or like this is well constructed. But just like 
drama dialogue. When I've tried to write things that are a little more serious, I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is this going to make people emotional? Yeah. Like, it's just, just information sometimes. I'm like, what? Yeah, How because, do you gauge that? Well, yeah, actually, it is. It it must be a lot harder because at least with comedy, there's like the, the there's a physiological response. There is laughter. Yeah. And there's like you, it's like you need to have three jokes per page and you go like, I look, I don't know if this is the funniest thing in the world, but. It's technically three <laughs> jokes per page. Dom, my uh, writing partner, Dominic, who did an episode of this, we had a joke of like, in writers rooms I work with him, that like he should have a rubber stamp that says like joke, where it's like, I'm not saying this is good or not, but I could be like, this is a joke. Like, yeah. This <laughs> this line has a joke. Like, yes. It's approved as a joke. And exactly. so it's like, I can say that like I've met my quota at the fucking widget factory because I have written there's my something, jokes. Yeah, there's something mathematical about it yeah. where you are like just formula formula wise, mm -hmm. this was technically a joke. Whereas I don't think like when I try to write something a little bit more serious, you know, the famous drama episodes of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking about some of those now. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of um uh Bart coming of age as an artist. Yes. Um Bart's Kunstler Roman. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I go through a couple of um, phases where I'll write out some lines and I'll immediately be like, okay, can I, I can write some serious dialogue yeah. almost immediately met with, no, I can't, this was nothing. Yeah. And there's also just like a, a general, I don't know. I yeah. don't know if this works. I don't totally know how to evaluate it sometimes. I don't. Yeah, because it's not like like with laughter, at least it can sort of happen casually. Well, what if you try to make yourself cry? Exactly. What if you write a line so beautiful that you start to weep? <laughs> That's as good an indication. I need three I... cries per page for my drama. <laughs> three tears. Three tears. But, yeah. So as we discuss this and get serious about mm -hmm. um you know, actually talking about our writing process. Our I want I want to go I want to go to him talking about the critics and the fact that he's, you know, they're illustrating something that I think is true, which is he's gotten all these raves, but he still has this self-doubt and that in general, like a negative comment or a negative review so greatly outweighs everything else. Uh -huh. And I can relate it to this podcast, which we've just launched. And I got so many nice messages, like uh -huh. more than, you know, I've gotten for other, you know, just like doing a normal episode of Hollywood Hamlet. People are like, I like this. I'm glad you did it. And there are a couple of comments that aren't even negative. They're just saying, Okay, so the person who makes Hollywood Handbook, a show which mocks the idea of talking about like inside showbiz, <laughs> inside industry stuff, is now actually doing, literally becoming exactly the thing they mock. <laughs> and rather than feeling like, oh, I'm so happy people like the show, I'm so much more self-conscious yeah. about being a, a parody of myself and like... Doubting myself and be like, oh, I'm a joke. Like I'm a clown because I'm doing this <laughs> thing. I'm doing this thing that I would I have made fun of people for and would make fun of someone else for doing of like, don't you see? Like 
But but I like talking about it too. Yeah, I mean, there's only the the reason that, and I'm gonna get a little sincere right now. No, don't. (laughs) (laughs) So whoever commented, turn up the volume. (laughs) Um, The only way to make something like Hollywood Handbook as funny as it is is to have the knowledge of Hollywood that you have. Well, right, and well, yes, I care about like we and we were yes, I think we because were because if you're too removed from it, then you're not. Then what are you making fun of? You're just like standing outside pointing at someone. You're and just laughing. making something up. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, <laughs> yes. So anyway, I don't need I I don't need a lot of um. Sean, are you crying? On that, I'm. Sean, are you? <laughs> Sean, don't cry. <laughs> Rothy, you can write drama. <laughs> um. <laughs> it was just three tears per page, not this many. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's um, just to tell people, like, be nice to me. Yeah. Um, but anyway. <laughs> We're artists. We're sensitive. He then gets offered by his agent a job in Hollywood. So he's been doing, like, experimental New York group theater. He's been doing cool uh, you know, out there theater. He's done this play that's a hit and it's like LA's knocking. They want you to come out and he gets offered $1,000 a week to fly to LA and start mm-hmm. writing for the pictures. The movie is set in 1941. Uh-huh. I am here to tell you that in 2009, I was in New York doing UCB sort of experimental out there, edgy theater stuff. Right. And I received this exact same phone call for this exact same amount of money. (laughs) (laughs) I literally got called, said, do you want to fly to LA? You would start work on Monday. You have six days to move. We will pay you $1,000 a week. And then, and then you said, hot dog, I've got the fink fee. (laughs) I, I, I said, for how long? They said, it'll be week to week. <laughs> At the end of each week, we'll have the option to terminate your <laughs> you. Um, but do you want to do it? And I was like, okay. So yep. I so I have experienced exactly what um, Barton Fink did. Uh, and they didn't adjust for inflation. No. That's still the deal. Um, That's why we're striking, right? Because the WGA watched Barton Fink (laughs) as a group. (laughs) That's right. Um, But also, I think that like it was there are more parallels for me where it's like he's sort of flattered. It's sort of exciting to talk about a little of the origin of me starting to work in television. I was doing improv at UCB. Then I started doing sketch stuff at UCB, partially because I was like, why isn't anyone writing stuff for me? So then yeah. I was like, I'll write stuff for me mm-hmm. to be the great actor that I've become. Um, and, and then started to write sketches. There was a show out here called Popzilla. You're a fan? Yes. <laughs> Big pophead. Popzilla was a pop culture based animated sketch show. It was Mm -hmm. almost like South Park type, like flash animation so they could turn around things quickly because they wanted to do. And um, an example of a sketch would be like 
Chris Angel watches the new Harry Potter movie. And so it's like okay. a theater and it's Chris Angel and he's just going, I could do that. That's the sketch. That's, <laughs> That's You know what? That's a premise. The sketches were like 30 seconds. Uh, and so you had to have like 60 of them or whatever per show. And I got everyone. There was a one of the people who created it was at UCBLA and had sent like a sort of general email to UCB New York and was like, does anyone want to submit like a packet to like be one of the contributors? And they had like whatever, 80 contributors who were sending sketch ideas every week. And so like I sent a packet, uh, but to talk about even like the way that it happened, that is a little bit like Barton Fink is like, I sort of heard what it was. And then my roommate watched the presentation they sent and um, was just like, it's stupid. Like, it's like not good. <laughs> and like the, you know, whatever. I don't like the voices. I don't like the animation. I don't think it's funny. And I kind of went like, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not. He was like, I'm not doing it. I was like, I'm not going to do it either because like yeah. whatever. And then I think I got the flu. <laughs> <I> like, <laughs> I was like home and, you woke up and I was Los like, I, let me watch it. And then I watched it. And I was like, well, this could be funny. <laughs> and then I sent stuff in, but it was a little bit of like, I had this pretentious, like, well, I'm doing cool stuff here. Right. Like, right. And then it was like, well, maybe like doing something more commercial could fund the cool stuff. That yeah. I do. But it was like, I wasn't making money. It was like, this was a chance to make money. And then um, to, zip through it it's like there were all these contributors and they would pay you for an idea they pay you like 50 or 75 dollars for an idea if they bought it and then i sold enough ideas that they called me to be like do you want to come work here but with yeah. all of the <laughs> terms that i laid out and i also was like oh i got a job offer i'm gonna get an agent and then uh -huh. i like i called Adam Pally, who was a person I knew with an agent, was like, can you put me in touch with your agent? And he was yeah. like, sure. And then I like got in touch with her finally. And she was like, yeah, just do it. Like, just do. <laughs> and I was like, okay, do you want to like do the deal? And she's like, no. <laughs> but like, good luck. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's so awesome. That was my big break. You were you were very willing to of the thousand dollars a week bring would you like one hundred dollars yeah bring home eight dollars <laughs> the thousand dollars of course is before taxes right and um <laughs> they weren't taking taxes out <laughs> <laughs> and neither was i yeah <laughs> So there are actually cops waiting for you right outside this building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't uh I didn't I didn't do my taxes that year. <laughs> and then later I got in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so um anyway, uh just as a bridge to how did you move to LA? How did you start writing for TV? Like a little bit of your path. Did you find any parallels with Barton Fink's experience? Well, other than the murders, no. <laughs> um, well, actually, I um, so I started writing. I went to college thinking that I was going to do pre-med and I did one year of like biochem um, realized I hated it and then thought, well, what do I like doing? I like watching TV. 
Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it dawned on me that people get paid to do that. And yeah. it's not all just Tina Fey improvising <laughs> 30 Rock <laughs> with her friends. That's um, the message of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Tina that Fey did not improvise. She did not improvise. And if she tries to tell you that, you just turn around. Citizens arrest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You say, where are your taxes from 2009? <laughs> um, 30 Rock, a show that you were on. I was. I was a, I, I was playing you, a writer you before were... I became a writer. <laughs> and isn't that how it works? Mm-hmm. Yes, for fake example, it till you make it. For example, you made Hollywood Handbook, and now here you are making this podcast. Uh-huh. Yes, I was <laughs> pretending to be a showbiz storyteller, and now I've become one. <laughs> anyway, so I started writing comedy in college and I went to a very serious college, which was nice because I had zero competition Mm -hmm. to write comedy. And so a lot of people were really um, supportive of it. And they because they were also like like the kinds of people that I went to college with all became like doctors. Right. And like um, uh, like nerds. Yeah. The oh, kinds yeah. of people you went to college with. Huh? Exactly. Whereas I'm sort of just operating on the funny bone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're scrubbing in for surgery right now. Um. Uh. Yeah. It turns out um, I'm I am doing medicine actually now. Yeah. Considering the best laughter medicine. is the best. I'm doing the best medicine. Yeah. Actually. I'm doing the best medicine. Um. Uh. So, yeah, I. <laughs> I started writing and I started like submitting stuff um, to places like College Humor back before. I mean, College Humor now is what, like one M&M's ad? <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't say that here just because oh. like uh, Jake and Amir <laughs> right. are like very attached to. <laughs> right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a very successful M&M's mm-hmm. ad. <laughs> yeah. It's the best, funniest M&M's ad yes. in all of college. College, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like submitting stuff and then I interned at College Humor mm-hmm. and then I decided, okay, well, this will probably launch my career directly into stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I moved to LA right after I graduated. So I moved like two weeks after I graduated and I was like, you know, I have all this college humor experience. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm writing for both Shouts and Murmurs. Okay, so yeah. they were kind of knocking down your door. Yeah, oh yeah. McSweeney's, obviously. I was combining, I was combining just the everyday with uh, literature, you know? <laughs> the the very McSweeney's formula of yeah. comedy. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, come find me. I'm ready and to be famous. I'm ready to be famous. I applied to a hundred assistant positions. Every one of them said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're no assistant. Y- you're no assistant. You're right. You're, you're not, you're not assistant material. We're going to mm-hmm. put you right at the top. No, um, I became an assistant to a seven-year-old, so I nannied for a bit. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was honestly great. I loved yeah. nannying because the kid that I nannied for, whose mom became like one of my best, best friends, um, this kid was, he was just the quietest seven-year-old I've ever met. 
um, one time I was like, do you want to, I noticed that you and Owen were chatting up a storm after school. Uh, Would you like a play date with Owen? Oh yeah. I got Owen's mom's phone number. And he said, he took a deep breath and said to me, you want to just sit and chat? So that was the kid I nannied. Wow. <laughs> it was awesome. That's cool. It's the most fun job. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, subject for that. Yeah. To just sit and chat. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then he And look, we're and, still doing it today. And and we're still doing it today and and if I didn't get that kind of practice early on in my LA career. Oh, I'm grateful what, to I mean, kid, yeah. Yeah, I would be running around the building and you would be chasing me <laughs> with a net. Maybe I wouldn't know how to sit and chat. Um, <laughs> a large butterfly net is That's, what you would yeah, be yeah. chasing me with right now if it were not for this child. And I was while I was nannying, I was writing a bunch. And mm-hmm. um, what actually landed me my first managers was that I was writing a lot of. And listen, Trump was amazing for comedy. Oh my God! Writes, yes. he just writes the jokes himself, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he, like to laugh. I mean, he Wait genuinely is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> he genuinely is very funny. But is, I yeah. was, I was really taking advantage of this time and um, uh, writing a lot of political humor for uh, shout for Daily Shouts mm-hmm. in the New Yorker, and. And I was writing a lot of stuff that a mother named Nancy would share on Facebook. Okay. You know? I can picture her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's like, she's done it again. She's taken down this Have man. Have you seen this? I mean, okay. Say say to bye-bye share. to the White House Cheeto man. My uncle would forward me this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at, honestly, go through your inbox and just look up FWD and see how many pieces of mine show up. <laughs> yeah, I got a feeling it's going to be a lot. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's how I got my first managers. And then I ended up staffed on the show um, Friends from College ah, season yes. two. Yes. Um, starring Don't Think Twice's very own Keegan. Keegan, yes. The old-timey ticket taker. The old-timey ticket Mm -hmm. taker. Yeah, I mean, Friends from College was sort of that character built out. (laughs) Yes, they finally explored. Well, when he's not taking tickets, what is he doing? What is he doing? Yeah. conducting a 15-year affair. Yeah, he's got to just be living (laughs) life. But living two lives? Mm -hmm. You'll have to tune in to find out. Yes. Um, Anyway, that show was quickly canceled <laughs> by Netflix. But that was your that was my that was first, your Barton Fink moment. That was where my somebody Fink. said, "We enjoy all the challenging political humor that yeah. you've been doing, just like Barton Fink was writing about the common man." Yeah. And then they said, "Do you want to come write for this more commercial project? Yes. About friends who went to college together. Original and, title here's... was Friends from Harvard. Little piece of trivia for <laughs> people that, who don't. Is that true? That was oh, originally, wow. I believe, what the show was called. Wow. Um, yeah, and you know, I had recently been in college and I had some friends of my own. Mm-hmm. And so I think they wanted to mine from my personal experience. Well, and so, yes. And so to connect back to the movie, it sounds like you were well-suited for the assignment that you got. Barton Fink 
gets flown out to L.A. Uh-huh. And he's not writing about what he wants to write about. He no. gets pulled into his very first meeting, very funny uh, meeting with the studio executive where they're like, the writer is king at Capital Pictures. And they're um, giving him <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, uh, all of this attention that's very positive and saying that they just can't wait to see what he does and they and that like he can have whatever he wants and um it's it's the feeling a little bit of a general meeting Uh um which are these meetings that you (laughs) have to go on and he gets immediately assigned and I just liked this specific is like they're listing through different genres of movie uh-huh. where they're going like there's romantic pictures and there's this and that you know, you could write a you could write a comedy, you could write a romance, you could write this. And then it's like, why don't you write a wrestling picture? <laughs> and throughout the entire film, a wrestling picture is just a a genre that everyone is familiar with where it's like <laughs> like there's Westerns and there's like romances and there's wrestling movies. Yes. <laughs> It's so funny because wrestling is just um like that's just an activity. Mhm. That's not that's not a genre, but I do like that everybody has accepted the reality in which wrestling is Everyone he talks to, it's like, have you ever tried to write a wrestling picture? When he runs into the older writer, he's like, sure, I've tried that. Like, it's just like, and they're like, well, why don't you go show him a couple of the uh, wrestling pictures? Yeah, I was pictures. just going to say the footage of the wrestling pictures. There's a really funny moment where he's like, he gets assigned this movie. There's a very real, I think, relatable thing as a writer where they basically go like, okay, go write the script. And he realizes that he has no template, like no idea what is actually expected of him. Yeah. He's just like sent home to generate a document with like no format or anything. And uh-huh. it's just like, write us a wrestling picture. And he doesn't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> and there, and it's just like, at one point, uh, one of the assistants is like, should we have him do a treatment? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 we trust you. Let's see what you turn in. And it's like, <laughs> there's not even an intermediate step where they could be like, you're on the wrong path. It's yeah. just like, you're now doing the job. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I usually in television, it's like nice for you. Like you were on season two of a show. So there's all of season one and yeah. you don't get given the first script. So they give you like a pilot or whatever, but it still is daunting when you haven't done it to be like, okay, I'm just trying to match what you did, but I haven't done it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I thought that was interesting. And there's a moment in the meeting where they're saying like, you know how these movies work. Like there's a good guy, there's a bad guy. There's uh, you know, there's either usually they're taking care of an orphan or there's a dame involved. And he's like, so what do you think? Orphan or dame? And Bart Vick goes, maybe both. And they're like, uh, and they share this look and it's like, let's keep it simple. Let's make it a dame. And like, it just, <laughs> and it's just like, you have given the wrong answer. So for me, like when I first got a manager and they were like, uh-huh. let's introduce you around town and you go to all the general meetings and they have, they ask him like, what kind of movies do you like? What's your favorite genre? And this is what happens at these meetings still to this day is they go like, so what are you watching? Like, what do you like? And before I had gone, like nobody tells you what to do. And I know now, like I went to Sony and they were like, what TV shows do you watch? And I didn't name a single show that they produced. And like, that's bad. I 
am learning right now <laughs> that you that's should what you're know the people do. that you meet with like what do they make and so it's like name like something they made before that's like all totally accepted as good name something they're currently making so that they know that like what they're doing now you're interested in then maybe name something that somebody else makes so you don't seem like a total kiss ass and then say that you're currently rewatching the soprano yeah like <laughs> that this is actually fantastic advice that's have, a general meeting oh this is why generals never <laughs> and especially never, as, uh, as <laughs> turn out to be anything no, for me <laughs> Well, and I don't think they do for most people. Some people are masters of it, but this is like just like what I gathered where it was like, oh, they wanted me to say something that they work on so that they could tell me more about Because then you're in a conversation yeah. where you're like, oh, I watched this show and they go like, well, that creator is really interesting. And like they can talk about the writer they know who works on it and what got changed about it or how it got made. And now you're engaging. Whereas if you say like you're at Sony and you name like, a show that Disney makes, they just go like, cool. Like maybe they've seen it. Maybe they, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's so, wow. You know what I keep saying? This is where I'm not primed for the industry is that I keep being honest. And what I say when people watch, ask me what I'm watching is that I am just watching this one clip from MasterChef Junior. <laughs> And it, well, it, that's <laughs> funny though. You're you're a comedy writer. You're in a meeting. They want you to be funny. Like that's a funny thing to say. I I do think that 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 does end up working for me. This clip is wild because it is this eight year old, <laughs> and she has just made a steak with wilted mustard greens on the side, and she describes that she wanted to brand the steak because she wanted to preserve the rusticity of a Texas steakhouse, and she is eight. Anyway, that's what I'm watching on TV, Whoa. and it's on YouTube. It's not on TV. <laughs> it was at one point. But that's a good... That is a good answer. It's, that's not doing what I'm, which is like you fuck up when you just like name all their competitor shows and but they're just I like, cool, start, thanks for coming here. Yeah, I got. But you start should saying, know, you should look up what they make or yeah. like the person you're meeting with if they're like specifically a producer on something to know, um, and that will be helpful. And so you do that, and then yes, my joke is that you always say that you're rewatching The Sopranos, was, and as a comedy writer, you go like it's so much funnier than I remember. Like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just like, there's so much comedy in it. So much it's comedy. everyone's observation about it. And yeah. it's just like, you're in totally comfortable because also like, I don't watch a lot of comedy, but I am meeting with people generally who Make in a good, comedy. in a good outcome would want me to write a comedy for them. So yeah. you want to find some tonal comparison to what you would make. And it's a struggle. Like I, was never prepped for them and then was like they were going badly when i started working with my writing partner we had a little routine that we would do that's mm. like your master chef thing where we would say like we have an idea for a show and then we would start talking about things in their office like as if that's we were coming really up good. with the show so if it was here i'd be like it's a show about a pink radio but it's it's fighting with a statue of Beethoven <laughs> like and we would just do that That's a like really good pick bit. up books and stuff and that was always like okay these people are funny and that yeah. would like get us off on a good foot with people and it's also like when you're brand new or like when you're 
in like even Barton Fink's position, he has a job, but you go in and they go like, so what do you like want to do? And it's like, for me, I'm like, fucking anything. Like, yeah. I want to do, like, please, please, like, help me work. Like, exactly. what do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> I'll do anything for you. But you're supposed to be like, I have a modern take on the noir genre. You're just yeah. like, uh, it's like, you don't, you know, it's bullshit. What has been your, like, can you remember a meeting where you left and just went like, I fucking crushed that. And what is also the worst meeting you've had, if you can remember? Uh, yes, I can. Um, well, I mean, these were meetings to work on shows. Yeah. So the first meeting that uh, Dom and I went on for to write for uh, Alan Gregory, mm. the showrunner has told us afterwards that he really didn't like our script that much. There was someone at the studio who liked our script who then was like, you have to meet with these guys because like yeah. we like their script. And that we went in and we were, uh, we just connected. We watched the show first, like the pilot. And then there were a couple of like references, like kind of like deep cut references in the pilot mm -hmm. um, that I came in and was like, well, this seemed like you were just like, doing a scene from that like it was like yeah. oh this was like a moment from the movie fear with mark Wahlberg, <laughs> and this was a reference to this and i like had a connection with a right. lot of what they were doing and then we just got into bits with these guys who created it where it was like this won't sound that funny to retell it but like the showrunner david goodman it was mm -hmm. like um said some mentioned something about like and you guys are performers too and then he in a way of like teasing jared who was one of the creators who was an established actor uh early in his career had done like some you know some significant stuff he went like you know jared's an actor too and he when he was a kid had done like a bit part on home improvement and he went jared was on home improvement and i think dom went oh my god you're out you're Al Borland. And then we both went in, we were just going like, I don't think so, Tim. You're, I don't think so, Tim. And like, we did this. And it was just like, we're all like laughing. Yeah. And we leave and like, D David Goodman had like taken off his glasses. He was like tearing up, like crying, laughing. And he like walks us to the elevator and he goes, well, you guys fucked up that meeting. You're never getting this job. Like he was, it was like. That's awesome. So like you have the job. Yeah. Even though I didn't like your script. <laughs> so like that crushed, but it was also a feeling different from the general meeting thing where you're meeting with like executives. It, it was yeah. like, it was creatives. It was these right. guys who were comedy writers who we had a common language with and we were like making each other laugh. So that went well. The first meeting that I went on for a show after Dom and I had stopped writing together where we were both meeting for the same job, which is like we had split and it was like at yeah. some point we're both going to go out for a job. And we had worked on different things. I worked on Ghosted and he worked on The Mick and we sort of kept working. Right. And then it was like, okay, we're both unemployed. There's a job. I went in, took an okay meeting and then just like swung for a bit it was just like i'm gonna do this had thought of it in the car like i'm gonna yeah. do this sort of like big joke and it fucking bop like they were just like staring at me like what yeah like and i was just like 
this is the worst meeting I've ever taken. <laughs> Dom went for a meeting the next day, got the job, has worked on the show for four years. So, <laughs> but it was like, this is going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, it was, and again, this this will sound bad in the retelling, but it was like, um, they, I know at some point they go like, do you have any questions for us? Yeah. And they were like, do you, so do you have any questions for us? And I was like, yeah. And I start, I open, I go like, what the fuck were you smoking when you came up with this shit? <laughs> I go, Jesus, man, this is out there. And I just like going to this character, like, I got a question, all right. Can I get some of what you're on? Because, because I'm looking to uh, join you on the moon, my good man. And I'm just like, go into this and yeah. it's getting nothing and like just silence. And it's like these two people at the meeting and I just like, and I'm like doing it. And then I sort of start to like lose confidence and back out of it. And then just, and I'm just like, I, you know, I was, and they had said they were like huge fans of workaholic. And I was like, when I was working on workaholic, everybody was like, you guys high in the room or whatever. I just sort of like, was, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, joking like that. Uh, but what, um, but my question, how do you see the season progressing? <laughs> like, just like, could not get out of it. Um, wow. So yeah. Do you have a best and worst meeting? Um, My best meeting, I think, was before I got, it was for the friends from college job. Uh -huh. um, and it was, I forget what prompted my telling the story, but um, I think, yeah, I forget what prompted it, but I told a story about going to a funeral and realizing that my dad and, and for us in, in our culture, Kentucky, no, in, <laughs> in the culture, we, always have an open casket at funerals um, and uh, sort of- Even if the person is very ugly? <laughs> Especially if the person, <laughs> that way you feel better. <laughs> well, knowing I'm not gonna one, miss them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> knowing that one one more sore site is gone. Yeah, gonna have to look um, at this, yeah. Uh, but it, uh, sort of the slow realization that my dad and um, the, the body of our dear friend were wearing the same outfit. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, and that so it really crushed. It really crushed, and I think that they were like, they laughed. Nick laughed so hard he started crying. Yeah, and then like that day made an offer, um, and it was that that really crushed. Um, the there was one meeting where I went in knowing that who I was meeting with was worried that maybe I would be like very into myself because of all of the internet writing I had done. Mm -hmm. um, and because, you know, I had the following on Twitter and things like that. Um, and I, and he had actually You're a asked- influencer. I'm a micro-influencer. You can say it. I'm a micro- That's not a dirty word here. Well, you know, I, I'm a micro-influencer in uh, comedy, macro-influencer in fashion. <laughs> That's um, my clothes are huge, <laughs> 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 but uh, I 
went into this meeting very aware that this guy maybe thought that I was into myself. Uh And so he asked, he was like, well, what kind of writing do you like to do? And I said very loudly, not Internet. (laughs) Overcorrected, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Overcorrected. And he was like, do you like comedy? Um, And I was like, it's, you know, I love to write jokes, but not too much online. (laughs) And it was it was the weirdest interaction that I've ever had with a person. And it was entirely my fault. And I could feel it being my fault Mm. as I was talking. And I and then I I, and then I think I closed out that conversation talking about my period. Um, That man is now one of my best friends. Hey, so it's not. But it was weird the whole time. It was, didn't happen for me with my guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, do you think, are they the ones maybe commenting on this podcast? Dude, look, I got to say, that comment I don't think was meant mean-spirited, but maybe. But um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he takes this meeting. I want to talk about um, sort of, we'll, We'll zip through a little bit some of the movie. And a lot of the movie is like, it's very surreal. The plot of it is, you know, kind of small. It's like he gets assigned to write this movie. He goes home. He can't write it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if I can find it, I think probably <laughs> they keep showing that he has like one line of description on uh-huh. the page and it'll say like, you know, the sounds of traffic are heard over the street or something like that. <laughs> and um, and then he like can't get any further. Uh, and I want to find where. Oh, so I think like this may be my, my my wish I wrote it because like the first time you see it, it says like we hear the sounds of traffic. Then later he has written like a new first sentence and it says like whatever, like the morning dove like makes its first. And then he says like, it is still too early to hear the traffic. Later, perhaps we will. (laughs) (laughs) And he has put into the stage directions that later Later. you might hear traffic. But not right now, it's too early. (laughs) That's your first clue that this isn't just writer's block. Like this guy is bullshit. Um, So... Uh, it's a little out of order, but so Buscemi has a role as yes. Chet, the bellhop. This is my other contender for which I wrote it, which is the check-in scene. So yeah. it's his first scene in L.A. He's checking in. And this guy, you know, is like um, there's a lot of emphasis on like, are you a resident or a transient? Yeah, because it's like, do you are you a are you a Los Angeles person or, or are, you, are you just drifter? visiting? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And he's like, well, I'm be staying here indefinitely. And it's like, I'm a resident. Chet tells him his name three times. And as he's talking, he's writing something down on a piece of paper, which you assume is like the phone number for the front desk or something. And then at the end of the scene, he slides the paper over and there's a close up on it. And it says Chet in all capital letters <laughs> with an exclamation point. And I was like, this is so funny. Yeah. And it's sort of like, the first sense you get that this is going to be truly weird. Yeah. And I'm realizing as I talk about my wish I wrote it, it's because like in the TV set, it was also like the establishing scene. Like uh, I do really, I am jealous of, or like 
um, I really respond to like an early scene in a movie that just like sets the tone so precisely. Yeah. Where it's like <laughs> something is fucking off here. Yeah. Like, nothing happens that's insane. It's just like For Chet me. is operating on his wavelength and will not be batted, you know, yeah. to accommodate you in any way. Um, and like that, you know, and that's what you have to deal with. There. Yeah. And then he gets in the elevator and there's like a very old like elevator man in yeah. there. And there's just a they just hold a little too long of the guy being like. <sighs> Next stop, floor five. <laughs> <laughs> this guy hates his life. Um, so the hotel is the setting for like most of the movie. Yeah. And isn't the hotel sort of one of the main characters of it? It absolutely is. So my question for you is, what do you think the hotel is? Like I've read some analysis that is like the hotel is the process of writing itself. Yeah. That like checking into the hotel is starting a script. Yes. And when you start the script, you are in hell. Uh-huh. And then as you go through it, like things go wrong and you're fixing these problems and there's all these like distractions and other things that come that try to stop you from like being able to kind of complete your stay there. Yeah. And that like, you know, through that crucible, ideally you create something. It is, you know what, it, the hotel... To me, was just it. It was just this place that was begging him to realize he is not hot shit. It's yes, every element of it is like melting or peeling, and it like the one night that he spends with a lady. Yes, you know it, it turns. It to turns hell. very grim. Yes, it he, turns he, very grim. He, he wakes up and she's been murdered. Um, and we're, and the, the, there's a possibility that he has done it. Yes. We don't know. Like he doesn't remember. Um, but it is pure decay. Yeah. So the Coen brothers said, and I don't do much visual film analysis here, but that like they, the colors of putrefaction were important to them. <laughs> it's a lot of like greens and yellows yes. and it, it looks horrible and it's like too hot. He has chosen the hotel. Like uh -huh. they in the meeting, the guy's like, why are you staying at there? Why aren't you staying at like the plaza or whatever? And mm -hmm. he's like, I wanted to be like separated from Hollywood. Yes. And so it's like his pretension is punishing him. Yeah. It is stopping him from being able to enjoy anything, which is uh, important, I think. And then while he's in the hotel, there's a mosquito that keeps attacking his face. Like, and yeah. there's a line that Tony Shalhoub, who's brilliant, yes. has where he's like, there's no mosquitoes in L.A. Yeah, this is a desert. Which is something I heard. Like when I came here in 2009, it was like, there are not mosquitoes. Now there are a lot of mosquitoes. Yeah. It has changed. L.A. has gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. But but there's like. All these little clues that something's off. And to me. One of the most important moments is he's at the typewriter and he turns around and the wallpaper just peels off. Yeah. And he goes and sticks it back up and he has this really nasty sticky glue all yes. over him. And the reason, and maybe this is a smart thought, although this is a movie that's been so analyzed, I don't really, I'm not going to have any smart thoughts that haven't been thought. But this is, 
to me like the key point in the film because everything strange before this is a person behaving in a way that's odd. Yeah. So you could always chalk that up to like Los Angeles is full of kooks. Like he's yes. not in Kansas anymore. Um, when the when the room starts attacking yeah. you, <laughs> it's like okay, this is more than just like. Uh, characters are odd this is more than just like you're meeting a lot of kooky people this is like the world is like imploding and it's and it's part of why it's set in 1941 we're like on the brink of apocalypse you know like that's that's an element of it the other big thing that's happening in the hotel is there's a noise that's distracting him yes. he's trying to write he calls down to the front desk reports the noise says my neighbor's making noise chet Faithful Chet says, I'll take care of it right away. And the next thing that happens is he gets a knock on his door <laughs> from the neighbor going, did you just fucking report me? For <laughs> and it's John Goodman. I watched this a few years ago. I, I mean, I had forgotten. Like, this is one of the best performances I've ever it's, seen. Yeah. John Goodman is incredible in this movie. He's so funny. He's so amazing. He's so immediately lovable. Yes. So he is threading this incredible needle where he is instantly menacing uh -huh. and so charming yes. that you get that like Bart Fink would be like, I think I'm going to be friends with this guy. Yeah. And there's a really great running thing where it's also like we it, when he comes in, like we're meeting this new character. We're learning all about him. He's like a salesman. You feel like he's a yeah. salesman. You just get how he would walk into someone's house and he's just like, I'm awful damn sorry that I disturbed you. Like, I can't yeah. believe it. I just feel like hell. And you hear, and there's like this great thing where he hears that Barton Fink is a writer and he knows he's staying in the same shitty hotel as him. He's like, man, that's a tough racket. Like, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. And then Barton Fink says like, I, I work for the pictures and he is a little proud of himself. Yeah. And then, Goodman starts doubling back like, I feel like such an asshole. Yeah. You're a big deal. Here I am <laughs> condescending to you. Like, can you ever forgive me? And it's like this whole dynamic is established. Well, it's so, I mean, John Goodman's character is, first of all, I think so much smarter than Barton Fink. Well, he understands people. He understands people. But their dynamic also really reminds me of when Hollywood does its thing of like what we know what middle America wants, you know, like yes. that's what their dynamic is. Well, and it is. And and there's a running joke inside of it where um, I, like, yes, he understands people. Barton Fink, who writes who, who when he says, what do you write about? Barton Fink goes, believe it or not, I actually write about. <laughs> Basically, schmucks like you. Yeah, ordinary like a, folk. A big brain like me writes about the common man. So, like, you must think, oh, he's meeting me, an insurance salesman. He's not interested. Actually, you're exactly what I'm interested yeah. in. And every time this is invoked, <laughs> John Goodman goes, well, boy, I could tell you some stories. And then... Bart Fink cuts off and goes, and that's the point. Everyone <laughs> has stories. And yeah. it's like, he's never fucking he's, listening. No. He's completely out of touch. And it's established in such a clear, funny way. Yeah. And it's just like this running joke of like, we learn like he is out of touch. He has no fucking idea what is happening for the common man. And he can never learn because he refuses to listen to this guy <laughs> who could, who could 
finish his script for him yeah. by like telling him what he's going through. But he's like, I actually need you to get out of here so I can write this yeah. script that I can't fucking write. <laughs> but I'm doing this for you. And it's like, it's such amazing, like hubris. And it's so funny. And his, yeah. and his dialogue is so stylized. Mm-hmm. And yet he feels real and you feel like you know him. Exactly. You know? I mean, I love at the end where John Goodman is like, you come into my house and immediately yes. complain about me. And I am like the fucking king of this place. Yes. And the final image of like these flames behind him yeah. is that just establishes that like this guy, Barton Fink, was so out of his depth. Yes. He had no idea and, what he was dealing with. Yeah. He had zero idea, but had, but yeah, had this like insane ego mm-hmm. that was just powering him through this entire time as he was like interacting with this nobody to him who is the most powerful in this world that he has insisted he knows everything about and can observe in like such a you know I'm the voice of you exactly and I won't listen to you exactly I am your voice shut up (laughs) yes that's yes that's right perfect so he he meets him and they do like they have they have some booze together and they hit it off and it's like you know I I like this guy Charlie and he's he's charmed by John Goodman he's got writer's block he can't get started he meets another producer um, there's a very funny thing with Tony Shalhoub where he says like uh, he's very mad at Barton Fig that he has um, it has the interest of the studio head he's like he likes you. Yeah. And he's like, that's a terrible thing. And Barton Fink's like, isn't that good? He's like, no, he likes you. Don't you get it? Like now he's going to be breathing down our neck. And I think there is a real thing in like, I'm sure with movies too, but in television where like, if you have a project, a pilot or a show that the people at the studio are totally disinterested in, it's dead. Yeah. It's dead and you'll finish the job and they'll leave it alone. And it's like, I've been on shows where like the order got cut and you just yeah. stopped getting notes. And it's like, oh, good. We're not getting notes. It's like, no, bad. You're yeah. not getting notes because you're dead. <laughs> if you have something that they love, that is also a huge really problem. Yeah. Because everyone wants to have their fingerprints on it uh-huh. and be able to point to something on screen when this thing that they're sure is going to be successful will be successful and go, that was me. Like, that was my contribution. And so, like, everyone is coming out of the woodwork to be like, I have an idea for your thing. And it's, like, very bad because you need to make everyone feel heard and you need to, like, try to incorporate what they're saying. But they're going to have drastically different and competing ideas. And it's, like, they won't be satisfied. And so the sweet spot, really, that you want to be in is, like, you know, people like it. Yeah. You get your notes and it's like, yeah, this might work. And like, then you could just make your thing. Um, Exactly. So it is like, I think a real, it's like a joke in the movie, but it's a real illustration of like, you do not want to be like the most important thing that these people have. No, especially because so much of our interactions with executives is trying to trick them into thinking that our ideas were their ideas. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because you want to yeah. do your idea. Exactly. And they want to feel like they're they're involved and that they're contributing. And so if you can be like what you said actually got us down this really great path <laughs> yeah. 
And then whatever you've decided you want to do for the story, you connect back to like, when you said like something's not working about the sister, we were like, she's not his sister. Like she's, you know, and, then, and it's just like, and then you just go, you know, pitch whatever you decided in the room you want to do. Exactly. But it's like, that is how, and like, of course, Barton Fink doesn't know how to do that. No. <laughs> um, no, he barely knows how to write. <laughs> yeah. And so, and to that, to that end, we have a, our other big character because Tony Shalhoub's like, we'll talk to another writer. Yeah. And he's like, um, uh, well, where am I going to find another writer? And they're at like, you know, the polo lounge or whatever, yes. basically. And he says, throw a rock in here and you'll hit one. Do me a favor. Throw it hard. <laughs> Which is a good line. That's a really good line. He hates writers. And then Barton Fink is uh, in the bathroom washing his hands after the meal. Someone is in the stall throwing up. Yep. Very loudly. Uh, he has a quick interaction with him. It's John Mahoney who then turns out to be essentially William Faulkner. Yes. Um, this like incredible novelist who Barton Fink idolizes, who has moved to Hollywood to write for the pictures and not really had any success yes. <laughs> and is a drunk. But it's like, oh, wow. You know, really in a funny way also, again, his pretension destroying him because he picks one of the only people who can't help yeah. him. To be his mentor. Yeah. (laughs) But that's who he respects. As someone who also can't really do it. And I and I bet that I mean, there's the same sort of like brain thing that led him to stay at that hotel. Yes. Is what brought him right to the Faulkner of this movie. Exactly. I don't want to be part of Hollywood. Yeah. I want to be like something above what I am actually doing. And so I'm going to pick this person who is a very successful novelist, which has nothing to do with what I need to do. They can't write screenplays and neither can I. (laughs) Whose work has never translated commercially. (laughs) Yes, yes. And he says to him, like, have you ever tried a wrestling picture? And he's like, yes, with an equal lack of success. Yeah. All the other genres. Like, he's super open about it. He's just like, I'm on the payroll. What's his name is Mayhew, right? Yeah, it's like W H Mayhew. Yeah. So anyway, he like he gets into it with Mayhew, uh, who is supposed to be Faulkner, although Faulkner wasn't, I think, this bad of a drunk and like evil person. Um, but he he ends up like getting to go to lunch with this guy, and he has this like real like don't meet your heroes yeah thing of like this guy that he idolized is like totally worthless, totally washed up. We ultimately find out doesn't even write his own doesn't books write. anymore. Yeah. Like cannot can no longer write. Um, and he just like gets too drunk at lunch and like is very abusive to his like girlfriend slash assistant. Yeah. Um, and she makes apologies for him. And Barton Fink is left like <laughs> also is in love with this guy's assistant. Um, yeah. <laughs> but is just like left with like no help and is is fully insulted by this dude too who just goes like you suck (laughs) yeah who also is this guy is he's kind of staring down the barrel of his own future yeah so that's yes that's that's where you're headed and and with yeah because you have like a you're a successful playwright but Mm -hmm. you're not able to do this and then there's also an interesting exchange here about writing where he says like writing is you know writing is like painful basically Barton Fink does and Mayhew is like 
He's talking about the grand productive years when he was like a writer who it was pouring out of him, that that is like when he was truly happy because writing is the thing that brings him joy. Bart Fink is like, no, writing is painful. It's a horrible <laughs> process. It is meant to ease humanity's suffering. And then May goes like, no, it's just making stuff up. <laughs> And I just thought it was like a neat like. Yeah, that's the most I liked him. Yeah, because he's just like, no, dude, like it's fun. Like you make shit up. Like what could this guy say? This yeah. could happen to this guy. Like that's cool. Yeah. Um, And it's like basically neither one gets you anywhere. <laughs> um, And then there's also after he is abusive to assist it. I did like this line where Barton Fig runs up to like her defense and goes like, what's what? He's a son of a bitch. Don't get me wrong. He's a fine writer. <laughs> It's such a it's yeah. a crystallization of Hollywood of like, oh, that guy's a piece of shit. I mean, he makes good stuff. Yeah, he makes really like, good stuff. <laughs> and honestly, I would kill to work with him. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, that's still what's going through his head. Um, so like anyway, that's that's the Mayhew thread where then he he calls up the assistant. Uh, he ends up like having like a date with her. They do the nasty. Yes. He wakes up. There's a mosquito on her. Um, a symbol of like, you know, the rot of like this yes, hotel and everything. Decay. He hits the mosquito and there's a big blood splotch on her now. Uh-huh. And then there's more blood on the bed and we see she's been murdered. She could have helped him do the movie. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah, she like he just won't take the hell. <laughs> yes. She was like, here's how you do the movie. He becomes so obsessed with the fact that she's been writing for Mayhew and that like his idol like also doesn't write that he cannot accept the help that's right in front of him. And then she's murdered. And who does he call to help him? But Charlie. Charlie has become his friend. I do need to mention Charlie coming in, John Goodman, and talking to him about women and like whether he's got a girlfriend. One of the single greatest line deliveries in history when he holds up the nudie tie that he's wearing. So John Goodman's like, basically, do you want to talk about chicks? Barton Fink's yeah. like, I don't know, maybe a little bit. Goodman flips his tie up. There's a <laughs> naked woman on the other side of the tie. There's just this close-up of his face. He's got the naked woman. He just goes, ouch. <laughs> it's like, hey, Barton, ouch. The ouch it is, is fantastic. It's not my wish I wrote it because the writing is not the thing. No, but like exactly. the delivery of it is so amazing. <laughs> Like, and just that thing to have like, can you believe it? A naked chick. (laughs) I mean, it's fully, it's just fully the cartoon with eyes bulging out. Yes. At at the mere mention of sex. I got something for you, man. Just the idea of it. Dude, you particularly will love this. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And that, you know, it's that like, and Barton Fink is liking like, wow, you think of me as a like, yeah, as a red blooded American male who does want to see this. Like he does kind of get off on it. But it also is fully what Barton Fink's opinion of the ordinary man is, yeah. is that if you flip this guy's tie over, there's just a naked lady and that's it. Yes. Nothing else. Nothing subtle about it. Totally. It's that. So 
that's great. So they've become even closer. At one point, he says he's writing a wrestling picture. Great specific that this like actor that Barton Fink is like, oh, I'm working with this shitty actor. John Goodman's like, I love it. He's no slouch, man. Like, yeah. that, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, I can't believe it. Like, he's really stoked on it and also could help him. Yes. Like, is like, I've seen all this guy's movies. I could tell you, like, how to write it and tries to teach him to wrestle, wrestle. which is a good scene <laughs> yeah. where he just body slams him. And then, you know, walking out the door goes like, hey, I'm really sorry if I hurt you. Don't feel bad. I'm very physically yes. well endowed. <laughs> But hey, you've got that powerful brain. Yes. Which is a great, like, what you do is worthless. Exactly. Well, I could kill but you. It, but it also is like, this is where he's so much smarter than Barton Fink is like, yeah. he knows exactly what to say to this just like idiot guy who yeah. thinks that he knows every element of humanity. He works it. Yeah. yeah. He um, totally works him. And he's, uh, and in the grossness of the hotel, the movie, he has a perpetual ear infection yes. and the ooze that comes out of his ear looks exactly like the glue that peels off yes. the wallpaper. <laughs> um, we go from that to him discovering the body. He discovers the body. It's bloody. Then he goes to get Charlie to help him. Charlie, like, knows exactly what to do. Yeah. He's just like, oh, buddy, like, you're in such cops. a mess. Like, don't call the cops. Don't you get it? Like, I believe you didn't do this, but they won't. Yeah. Um. So, like, let me help you. He gets rid of the body and also says, like, I need to go out of town. Like, I'm leaving, but, like, I'll be back. Like, just stay in the hotel. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Yeah. Barton Fink is sitting. He's trying to write. He's still got writer's block. His bed is covered in blood now. He yeah. never does anything to clean it up or change the sheets. Well, he's also asked to look after a package. Yes. he uh, Yes. He's given a package that belongs to Goodman to be like, this is my most prized possessions. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You have to have this. Then um, another great scene as he is called down to the lobby to interview with these detectives. The detective patter, amazing. Yeah, that's that's the uh, line that I wish I wrote is when they ask him to, you know, just talk about this guy. And he says, like, he likes the he likes Oki pictures. Or yes, something. he remembers the name. Yeah, Jack Oki or whatever. Yeah. It's like his favorite actor. And yeah, the detective goes. Normally, we tell you anything you can remember would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what yeah. we usually say, which is great because you're like, yes, that is always what you hear. Where they're like, anything you remember, but they go. Normally, we tell you anything you remember, but I have to tell you, <laughs> that is not helpful at all. And then his partner goes, "You notice how he's not writing it down." <laughs> Those, that is that is my, I wish I wrote that. I wrote that down to one of the best two line exchanges I've ever heard. Just Notice the, how he isn't writing that down. Just the guy popping it. You notice how they're so insulting. They're so condescending. And it's a great, like, this is the LAPD. Everyone else in LA is like so respectful of like, you work for the movies. That's amazing. Exactly. And these guys are like, I don't give a fuck. Like, basically, do you know how many people work in the movies we, like, have to arrest or cover up for yeah. every day? <laughs> and, like, then, and then that first detective, again, tells him later, like, if you have anything else just, like, incredibly useless. Yes. That you would like to tell us. <laughs> yeah, here's my number if you yeah. want to call up and just bore me with the <laughs> bullshit <laughs> that you want to talk about. So then he has the interview with them. He's, like, kind of told that John Goodman is a serial killer who's mm -hmm. been living in Los Angeles. He's shown the picture of him and he covers up for him. Yeah. 
he does like and it's maybe self-preservation, but also he likes him. I think he thinks that he still doesn't think he's getting played. Yeah. And he makes the there. He's told like this guy has a different name. The name he gave you is a lie. Yeah. Uh, what is the thing they keep? Oh, God, I didn't write it. But like they have some specific that they're like, and yeah, and I'm Jackie Gleason. Like, it's just yeah. like <laughs> they just keep saying the same name of like, you've been fed a load of bullshit. But I think he also like he is making the immoral decision. He who yes. holds himself as a great moralist and like carrier of like um, morality and ethics, who's going to like show, you know, that everyone has stories and the common man has value is deciding to lie and to cover up and to maybe like harbor a fugitive. Yeah. Because that guy helped him and these guys are mean to him and they don't respect him. And this other guy does. And he, I think he I mean, he has this just like extreme sense of just like nothing bad could ever happen to me. I'm yes. too smart. No, he doesn't like he does have a huge reaction when the dead body happens. So, yeah. But then he also like he's. I guess sleeping on this mattress that's covered in blood. Yeah. Like they strip <laughs> the like they just don't like that's the thing where it's like he is so in his own head that he's not behaving like a human. And he leaves this and he sits down and he writes the script. Yes. Like, and this is that sort of Mozart scene. And and so skipping forward to the idea that John Goodman is potentially like the devil, uh -huh. that he is Satan, because he comes in and just like creates flames in the hallway. Yeah. This is his deal with the devil. He has chosen to cover up for John Goodman and just throw in with him. Yeah. And just ignore the cops and like polite society and the fact that people are being killed. And that allows him now to do the script. Exactly. And he writes the script. And something I really like that happens, which we touched on this earlier, but this does happen to me where as soon as he starts writing it, before he's even finished, he has to make a phone call to this producer who's like sleeping, who doesn't give a fuck about it, and be like, this is the most powerful thing I've ever written. Because I'll be like, I saw, you know, how am I going to figure this out? Maybe this will work. And then I start writing and I just like will kind of be in the pocket where it's like it's kind of coming out of me. It doesn't feel hard. And I'll just like I'll get four scenes done and be like, somebody's got to read this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> This is really good. <laughs> yeah. Now you're already thinking, like, God, I wish the design of the Emmy statue yeah, itself were a right. little different. Yeah. I wish it wasn't as pointy. Oh God, do Where I go with like look? the big money financer <laughs> who gives me a larger budget, but I have to compromise a little bit on casting? <laughs> or do I do this independently? Yeah, and then uh, I look you know, back and I've just written exterior Simpson House goes, Day. Goes nowhere. Yeah, goes nowhere. <laughs> but but it's like we were talking about. It's like you need someone to read it. Like to confirm yeah. whether it's good or not in a way because you're and I'm like, yeah, I think this might be good. Yeah. This happens to him. Goodman, you know, comes back. Goodman is the devil. Barton Fink has given a monologue to Goodman earlier where he talked about the life of the mind being painful, where he's talking about like mm -hmm. you have physical pain from your ear infection. Yeah. But I have the pain of like having to live inside my head with all of these complicated ideas. <laughs> Goodman, as he's murdering the policemen who, yes. have, who have come back <laughs> like who have been like Bart Vig, you like lied to us or whatever they're in his hotel room waiting for him I'm 
switching the order, who cares? I think like he gets told that his script sucks. Yeah. Then he comes home like the the producer hates the script is like, this is like artsy fartsy bullshit. I can't even send it to the actor like we're fucked like you're as punishment. You're going to remain on salary (laughs) until you learn how to write. Exactly. Nothing you write will ever go anywhere. You will just write things that are unproduced as like a purgatory for you. Yeah. He goes then from purgatory back to hell where the police officers are like standing looking at his bloody mattress. They're like, you have been a bad boy. Yeah. Um, Goodman comes in and shoots and kills them and is screaming, I'll show you the life of the mob. Yes. I don't know why he's saying that to the cops. I guess it's for Barton Fink to hear. (laughs) Then he's like creating flames. And then, as you said, in 1941, he holds a gun to the cop's head, close up of the gun on his head, and he says, Heil Hitler, and kills him. <laughs> Nothing else political no. or like about the war, anything has been mentioned for the entire film. <laughs> That's maybe the only mention of a world outside of L.A. <laughs> well, except that when he goes to meet with the producer about the script, the producer is in a colonel's uniform yes. and asked to be addressed as colonel. And he says, oh, congratulations on the ring. And he goes, well, it's still pending. But I have, but I have wardrobe make this up. Now, this is one of the weirdest things in the movie. This is true. Jack Warner did this. What? He asked for like a special military commission, like some sort of title. And in the meantime, he had the wardrobe department at the studio make him a military outfit, which is something I found in my, oh my research. God. And the Coen brothers were like, it's one of the most surreal parts of the film. And it's one of the only things that is a true Hollywood story that happened. Jack Warner. I mean, it, what? What a guy have you there's this fantastic oral history called West of Eden. Uh-huh. Um the book itself is sort of about like these dynastic powers of LA of like Southern California. Um and so there's like a whole section on Jack Warner and what a kook. Oh yeah. Yeah, very colorful character. In the Jack Warner character says another line that I love where he's tearing apart the script and he's like you've made this script about him wrestling with like choices and wrestling with morality and he goes wrestling movies are movies about big men in tights <laughs> physically and mentally especially physically <laughs> <laughs> incredible piece yeah. of dialogue yeah they're I, in I, tights I physically them. and mentally especially <laughs> physically especially physically So good. And then we see that we have gone from the writer is king, which is the first thing he says to Barton Fink, to we do not live and die by what you scribble. I have 20 writers right now who can give me that Barton Fink feeling. (laughs) She's like, you're worthless. You're nothing. Yeah, because the last time we saw him, he was literally kissing the feet. Of Barton Fink. Yes. Barton Fink. Yes. I, we, we've skipped and, I, and I'm sorry for people who wanted to hear more detailed analysis of just the film, scene by scene film. We did <laughs> skip a scene where Barton Fink is forced to go and have another meeting where he pitches out the movie. And he says to the guy, like, it's so pure in my head right now. I don't yeah, want to say it out loud because it'll it. change it. I don't like talking about works in progress. <laughs> yes. And then the dude, the assistant goes like, we fucking pay you. You have to tell us what it is. And then <laughs> Jack Warner or slash Harry Cohn or whatever says like, you piece of shit. This yeah. man's an artist. We, like everything starts with him. Like yeah. it's this thing that does happen 
and is part of the guild strike too, right? Of like, <laughs> there is a respect for writers. There is a celebration of good writing. Yeah. But it just turns on a dime to like, you fucking piece of shit. Like, we don't need you. Like, yeah. we have someone else do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting because it is this like, it, it's it's sort of like a halfway point of how people treat actors. Yeah. You know, as just like in terms of just like coddling their emotions mm-hmm. all the time and protecting their egos. There's like a more slippery sort of way to handle writers. Well, they're creatives. Think, they're mercurial. Yeah, they're, exactly. they're sensitive. You have to kind of approach how you give them, you know, start off. It's funny when you see that, like, like I talked about a form letter for generals. There's like a form letter for the notes where it's like, guys, Great job. Yes. So much funny stuff in here. And I worked on a show where like every script that got set in these, they, they picked a line. So like if the line was like, you know, uh, they're in tights physically and mentally, like it would be like so much funny stuff. We've been walking around the office saying yeah. they're in tights all week. Like they pick a lot. And it's like every script would be like, we've been saying this to each other all yeah. week. And then it's like, you know, now to the ugly business of the critique. Exactly. Like, page one. We hate it. It sucks. Like, just like, like <laughs> this doesn't work. This line. <laughs> a story has big issues. Need to reevaluate. B story. Throw it out. Like it's so funny. It, it is exactly that. Like we've been walking around the office saying this line. Yeah. UCLA psychology is doing a study on yeah. us because we're only repeating yes. this line to each we're other. We're institutionalized. Yeah. yeah. Our family. Uh, my wife it's, wants to divorce me. Yeah, I'm quoting your script too much. Yeah. It's disrupting our. <laughs> personal lives (laughs) so that like that's a very real thing uh or whatever where it's like you're you're getting coddled you're getting handled and then it at some point is revealed when people are mad and actually disappointed like we've been fucking handling you yeah (laughs) and we are no longer going to do that like you fucked up and like now fix it Mm -hmm. um that happens he learns that like he sucks he's going to get kept on contract it is sort of a purgatory for a writer yeah. obviously i'm sure you have uh, we are not the coen brothers we have undeveloped scripts like yes. there is a thing of like you write this thing you have meetings people go like this is great you get this future tripping thing where you're like this is gonna be cool like i'm gonna yeah. whatever go to sundance i'm gonna have this like great thing happen uh and then it doesn't get made yeah. and like they're like that's what you're gonna be you're gonna write things and no one's gonna make them or we're gonna put them in a drawer exactly um and you won't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that all happens. And then it ends, I guess, with him sort of embracing L.A. The one thing I forgot to mention that is very true to writing. This happens to every writer. When he checks into the hotel room, there's a picture on the wall. He gets very horny for the picture. <laughs> Everyone uh-huh. who stays at a hotel gets horny for the picture. At the oh, hotel. Yeah. There is a wall decoration. And the end of the movie is he's walking down the beach and he sits down and he realizes he is in the picture in the hotel. Yes. It was like a painting of a girl on a beach. And then um, I don't know what it means. What do you think it means? Um, I th- I think it means that that finally the girl in the picture is horny for him. Too. Yeah. Well, and it's and that's and after all, that's what we got into this business. Isn't it? <laughs> um, well, do you have any final thoughts on the movie? At the end, he throws the box, right? Oh, yeah. The box. We assume the box has the heads of other victims or something in it. Yeah. But we don't know. Yeah, that's a kind of a cool exchange. The woman on the beach goes like, 
you know, is that like what's, what's inside in that box? box? And he goes, I don't know. And she goes, isn't it yours? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's cool. That is. Yeah. And then he just throws it into the ocean. Yeah. Um, That to me was I, that's it, just what he does the entire movie. Right. He's given something and he just throws it away. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's right. That's it. Yeah, there's like an opportunity to like learn something, to like yeah. gain some knowledge, to have, to have some real experience. Any semblance of curiosity about something outside of yourself. Yeah, it is that thing of like writers not actually experiencing life, so they can't actually reflect life because they just live in their artificial worlds that they create. Exactly. And he ends up living inside of a picture that he saw. Yeah, <laughs> um, that he was fantasizing about. Yeah, but he Where never he... really connects. To and a seagull real. just drops dead mm -hmm. in the background. Oh, I think it's diving for a fish. Oh, I guess I watched this movie. No, wrong. you're probably right. Um, <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening. Uh, this is subtitles on. Brody, do you have anything you want to like? Any plugs or anything? Well, I already follow talked you about... on Threads, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a new app I created. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but here's the thing about this app is if you try to delete the app, it will take your social security number away. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so you just don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I guess I already talked about that MasterChef Junior clip, so I've got nothing else. <laughs> well, go check that out, everybody. The mustard yeah. greens, the rusticity. Yeah. Um, check out an eight-year-old girl saying that she wants to preserve the rusticity of a Texas steakhouse. Um, it's It'll, I, I don't know, it, it'll make you reckon with mortality in some way. <laughs> <laughs> that's at least what it does for me by the way also barton fink i watched this movie i watched half of it last night i watched the second half of it which is when most of the stuff happens this morning uh -huh. and it's weird to watch a movie before nine yeah <laughs> yeah well but something for people at home to try if you think yeah. you've seen the movie watch it early in the morning <laughs> yeah watch it start hey wake up at 7 a.m brush your teeth Get ready for the day and then put on Barton Fink. <laughs> okay, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs>